Thanks, Fliss. Good to be in church, isn't it? Yeah, is it good? I reckon it's good. I've been coming about 40 years. <laughs> it's got to be something good about it. Keep coming back, hasn't it? And I've um, just got wanting to uh, do a little bit of a series for a few weeks or just, just a little bit on this whole theme of uh, community. And we had, a, we had a need in our midst. I don't know if Dave and Lynn are here today or not, but um, there's a woman in our church, Lynn Quilty, uh, Hayden, who looks after our youth. It's Hayden's mum. And she's um, looking to the Lord for healing because she's um, got cancer cells have sort of moved to her lungs and her hip and different things. And she really needs a miracle. And we had last week, we had one day where quite a few of us uh, decided we'd um, spend some time in prayer and we'd fast and that that night we met to to um, to pray to pray for Lynn and it was really special and um, I trust um, just want to encourage you all to keep to keep praying for Lynn and to keep praying for Dave but it was when we were in the prayer meeting that night um, I was um, struck a verse came to me and I guess it was because we were together and praying for a need, and just the whole sense of the importance of belonging to a, f- a, f- a family, because in a real time of need, we, we often look for prayer. And this is the verse that um, came to me. It's in Psalm uh, eight, eight, 84. You may find it on your phone, or if you've got a Bible, or we might put it up on the screen. But this is, this is how the psalm goes. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place. A Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. I don't know what that does for you, but when I read that and the passion that's in there, um, that was the first uh, verse that came to me when we were praying for Lynn. I thought, how lovely are your dwelling places? How lovely is where God hangs out? And my, my experience is that God hangs out amongst his people. It's a community thing. And we all love the presence of God and we all love to uh, just be in that place where we sense God's presence, where we experience him. But uh, my experience is it's, it, it's, it's much, much more a, a together thing. It happens in community. We meet God. I, I can meet with the Lord in, in my lounge room at home. I can meet with God in a quiet time. But my experience is when I get to church, when I get to a connect group, when I get to somewhere where we gather, I sense God. And uh, we, we, we had our connect group this week as well one, one night. And um, I think my brother, Brother Graham was there. And Graham came in and I just thought, I, I, I just love this place. I just love this place. And Graham prayed in the meeting and I tell you, I just sense God. And that's, I just kept thinking about this verse all week. How lovely is your dwelling place. How lovely it is where God is and where God hangs out. It goes on in this psalm to say, For a day in your courts is better than a, thou, than a, a thou, thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
um, church. When I, when, when I read those verses, I think of church. I, think, I just don't think of church like building. I think of church as people and I think of it as a community. We are the church. We are the ones that have been called, called, called out and that's, that's what I find. I mean, these, these words are ancient words thousands of years ago and their context is a temple where the presence of God was and it was Jewish people. But I tell you, those words are relevant for us today. And when we experience God, we all have that little thing in us that says, how lovely is your dwelling place. How good it is. I, I titled my message today, So Good. If there's anything that is so good, it's the presence of God. And it should be church. It should be what we experience in church. What made these guys in these psalms? You know, there's another psalm that says, Psalm 133, which was one of the psalms they sang when they used to go up to the feasts. Three times a year they, were, they had these psalms that they would sing, these songs. Psalm 120 on to, I think, about 135 or something. There's this group of psalms, the psalms of ascent. They were going up, they, they were all coming as a nation three times a year. They had to go to Jerusalem and they would be heading to the temple and they would sing these songs and they would sing words like, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. There's something in their heart that they were experiencing and it wasn't just that they were all hanging out together. The presence of God was there. When I read those words, I think church... Um, it's not just uh, uh, atmosphere. It's not just if we put a few smoke machines up here and we get the keyboards playing real softly. It's not just that. We all know when God's here. We all know when he hangs out. The presence of God is biblical, it's tangible, and it's real. You know, and presence is a theme that weaves itself through the whole of, script, of Scripture, you know, the beginning and the end of this whole book, um, this story of our redemption, this story of God coming to rescue us, um, begins, begins in a garden, begins in a place where God made a garden and he created man and woman and he put them in a garden. And the best part of it was that it says, in the cool of the day, God came walking in the garden. And from the beginning, we were saying, this is so good. This is so good to be together and for God to be with us. And we blew it. We blew it in the garden and we were separated from God. And uh, Felicity was saying before how God called our name. You know, the very first time he called out our name, this is what he said. He said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And uh, I was talking to someone, I think it was Brett, the other week in our home group about hearing the voice of God and he was saying an experience he had where God spoke to him and it was the tone of God's voice. And I thought, when I read that verse, Adam, where are you? I tell you, I hear a tone. I hear a, a cry in God's heart to be with us, to be close to us, and that's the whole theme of Scripture just about is this move movement of a loving God who's been separated from us 
and he's wanting to get close and he's wanting it all to be restored. You know, we've got stories in there about him coming down on a mountain, about him wanting to choose a people for himself. We've got stories of an ark where he was present amongst his people. We've got stories where he then moved towards a temple. And then in the end, a sort of, at that point, he came as a man. He came from heaven. We sang in that song, um, Jesus didn't want heaven to be without us, so he brought heaven down. He came and dwelt with us. He was God with us. Then he poured out his spirit and he dwelt amongst us. He dwells amongst us in the church. He's outpoured. And when it's all wrapped up, this is what happens at the end of the book in Revelation 21. It says, And I saw the city, New Jerusalem, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. We say, How lovely are your dwelling places. How I long for the courts of the Lord. I faint for them. That's God's heart. God's heart wants to make his dwelling place with us. This is what he says. He says, He will dwell with them. It's not just you and me, it's with all of us. It's a them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. God presents himself in community amongst the people. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. We all long for it. We all long for uh, to belong to belong to the house of God. You know, we are dysfunctional without it. We are wired for it and we gravitate towards it. Um, Don't you love hanging out? Do you love to hang out where the presence of God comes? I thought, I I I love church. I know its potential. I know its potential that as we gather around him, as we come to him, as we worship him, his presence comes and there's power and there's a eating place where God dwells with us. I love to meet in small groups. I sense God touching me. I sense God touching lives. I love fellowship. I love to have people for meals. We like doing coffee. People like doing coffee. You know what they like best about it? We like to talk about God. We like to talk about what he's done in your life and in my life. I really enjoy sitting down with someone and hearing what God's done in their life and sharing my life and just talking about God. It's called fellowship and it's rich and God is there. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. You know, God is community. God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And when he made us, he made us the same. He wired us the same. Western culture is so much built, you know, when you think of it, it's all around the individual. It's so much uh, around that. But the Bible is all around a sense that we belong. Just like to read you a verse from Ephesians 2, verse 20 to 22. This is what it talks about the church. I'll just pick out a little bit talks about it being called the household of God. It says being joined together 
uh, Felicity said, we're not here by chance. God is wanting to join something together. We are joined together. We grow into a, a temple in the Lord. We are a place where he wants to dwell. It says, in him, you, you, you are also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I don't know about you, but that is profound. That is profound, that just us being in a room, just us maybe coming along to find a church, us finding a home in God where we can grow, where we can hear the Word of God. We could hear the Word of God online. You can hear the best preachers just go online. But you need a dwelling place. You need a place where you're going to be built, where um, God is wanting to build something together, where he's going to dwell by his spirit. Peter calls us living stones. You know, the whole picture is God is wanting to build something. The image that God, uh, that Paul would use in his letters, he gives to the church is the body of Christ. We are a body, every part playing its part. I thought about when our, our, our church has been here for a long time. I thought about when our church was young. You know, we put a vision up here that we want to put in words what we're here, here for. We're here because we want to see um, the same uh, transforming life that we've experienced through coming into a relationship with Jesus. We want to see that happen for others to see our town transformed through the love and power of Jesus. Very simple, very clear vision. I don't know if we had a particularly clear vision when this church was young. We just met in a lounge room. We just worshipped the Lord. We just got excited about God. We were just hungry. And um, there was probably no articulated vision apart from we want to see lives changed. But it was raw. It was perhaps organic. But you know what it, you know what it did when you didn't uh, channel it? perhaps, it, it defaulted into one thing, community. The thing that it sort of evolved to was a whole bunch of people that still wanted to hang out and share their lives together and started to build houses and have land and people would buy homes in town and they just hanged out. And at some, some point, the council came and said, you need to build a church because you are a church. You know what I mean? It's God wants to build a community. He always does that. He's wanting to build a people. So I'm wanting to just look at a couple of things today from Philippians chapter 2, if you want to turn there. I want to look at some distinctives about community, about what God's trying to build, some elements that make it up, some insights from Paul. We've been doing this book in our Connect group, it's been real fun. We've been digging in there. The whole our letter is written by Paul, Philippians. He's in jail at this time and he's writing to this church that he has been involved in to see birth. And it was birth through miraculous uh, direction from God. It was the first church that began to head towards Europe. It was a missionary um, church that Paul had 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 um, a plant, uh, planted, but, but it was a church that God had birthed. And Paul's in jail 10 years after this church has been birthed. And he's, in, he's in, in chains, he says, but he's rejoicing. 
he's locked up, he, he is in lockdown, but he's still got this uh, passion in his heart for what God is doing. He says even the events that he, he's in jail have advanced the gospel. He's got himself chained on shifts with different guys from the Imperial Guard and he's probably preaching to them one at a time and he talks in here about how he's uh, thrilled that talks about in chapter 1 he says um, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's just full of encouragement. And in chapter 2 he talks about a few things that make for this community. And I'd just like to read you this passage, chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, just fantastic verses. At the start, you know, Paul's making, he's making an appeal to this church. um, And he talks about four things at the start that I really believe are the distinctives of what makes church. We're not just the sports club. I mean, sometimes we get guest guest speakers and I go down when they're finished here. I don't want to go home and cook. I take them down to the Caboolture Sports Club. It's a good place. It's a real crowd there. It's a real buzz. I took Alan Meyer there once. I said, this this is the other church. He said, said, I like this church, you know. You know, Alan likes to play golf. You know, we could belong to a sports club. Uh, That's good too. You know, I could go and play cards with a bunch of guys somewhere. I could hang out. I could join a political group. I could go and be with those that maybe have the same echo chamber as I'm listening to. You know, we could do all sorts of things. But we are not the sports club. There's something different here. We're not just a bunch of people in one room. There's a couple of very significant different things that brings and makes for the presence of God. And the fact that God's building something supernatural and doing something that's very, very, um, very powerful and has the 
um, potential to change your life and to bring the power of God here and to change other people's lives, you know, I just find it exciting. And the first thing he says, Paul says, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, you know, the foundation of us being church is Jesus. He's the foundation. It's, we're not the sports club. We're all here because we've had an experience or we're looking for one with Jesus. He has come into our lives. We have been born again. We've given our lives to him and he's changed us and something inside us has just, the lights, the lights have come on. And um, I have more in common um, with people that I perhaps have never met in Pakistan, Iran or China or India than I have with the guys I maybe spent years at school school with that I catch up with one, once every five years. There's a big thing with all... Because I went to a boys' school. They all come together and they have a reunion and they all hang out and um, they don't bring their wives. They just all get together and get drunk, you know? And they talk about old stories. But a bit like some guys from the band of brothers or something, you know, in the film... But we have more, I have more in common when I meet someone I've never met before who's met Jesus and suddenly there's a connection. There's relationship, there's something that's birth. It's an encouragement in Christ. The next thing Paul says, he says, any comfort from love. You know, we've, we're all in this room and we've all experienced the love of God. We sing that song and it's real to us. Um, all my days you've been faith- faithful. All my days you've been good, you know. We sing about that and it resonates. It's real. We've all experienced the love of God and we've all experienced what it is to be loved by the brethren or others that are in, in Christ. I was, you know, I was feeling for Lynn the other week and I thought, we have to pray for her. We have to get together. We have to come together because what we need is the power of God. And I don't know about you, but I find there's a conduit that it often runs through and it's called, um, it's called community. It's called when we gather. It's called when we come together to pray and we worship the Lord, he's there. His presence is there. And um, when we pray, people experience the love of God. You know, that's what we've all experienced. It's a distinctive Uh, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples because you have love one for another. That's that's a distinctive about us. That's the one thing that separates us is our love for one another. It should be different to the sports club. It should be different to whatever club you're in. There's a special love that's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit of God. The other thing it says, Paul says, he says, any participation in the spirit there's a common experience we all have of the spirit of god being poured out on on our lives where we're filled with his spirit if we experience that um it does something when the spirit of god invades a community of people he brings some unity it's not something we're having to work towards it's not something we have to attain 
It's something he does and we maintain it. And uh, I think back when the charismatic renewal occurred and all these churches were experiencing an outpouring of the Spirit of God, what was the thing that happened was they got together. We went to conferences and there was, there was Catholic nuns, there was people from every group and every tribe just hanging around with Jesus and wanting to worship the Lord because that's what the Spirit of God does. He puts us together. Fences come down. You watch when, is, when church is really good sometimes and the Spirit of God falls and people get touched, people don't leave. He's like glue. And um, you can see it at times. You know, you, you go somewhere, you go to a conference or you hang out. You know, if church is all it's meant to be, when the Spirit moves, you don't want to leave. You suddenly want to be hang, hanging around, not just for Shane's coffee... It's good coffee, I can guarantee it, but it's the Spirit of God is what unites us. Then it talks about, Paul says a fourth thing, he says, any affection and sympathy. You know, there's care, there's affection, there's brotherly love, and um, you hang around long enough, and there's people join churches are very different to you and to me. But the fact that God puts us together and we, uh, we, 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 we can be so diverse, a church can be so diverse and God makes it one and God makes it a place where we all feel we belong. Stay around long enough and you'll love one another and you'll not just do that, you'll be affectionate. You'll look at, you know, I look at people sometimes and I think I just love that guy, I just love that brother. I just love being together. That's what church should be. Church should be that sense. But Paul goes on to talk about one more thing. Um, Because he identifies one thing, he, he knows what's working for the church. Those four things are working. But there's one thing a little bit at risk. And... Um... He knows it's not complete without it. And this is what he says. He says, complete my joy. He says, complete it. Okay, we've got so much going for us. Let's complete it. He says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What, what is he looking for? I don't know. I was thinking, what is Paul looking for? I know, I know one thing it's not. It's not conformity. It's not a whole lot of group think. We are not in China. We don't all have to be required to think one way. We don't have to adopt the perspective of the one person or a small group. You know, church, this church that he spoke to was incredibly diverse. When you look in Acts, when it was formed, there was, uh, it began with three main, main people. There was a, a woman that was selling purple. She was obviously rich and she was local. And Paul uh, preached to her and she believed the gospel and she came to faith. Then there was a slave girl that was following them that was probably Greek and she had a spirit of deviation. She was demon-possessed in some, some, some way and she gets set free and she comes to faith. She gets delivered. Then there's a Roman soldier 
that's in a jail holding uh, Paul and the guys in jail because they're preaching the gospel and they're in strife for it. They're in strife for seeing this slave girl set free and in the middle of the night they're praising and the power of God falls and there's an earthquake and this Roman guy that's middle, m- middle class and he's Roman, he uh, gets saved and says, what must I do to be saved? And his whole household gets saved. That's the beginning of this church. Every class, different groups, different tribes. And church should always be like that, incredibly diverse, different cultures, different groups. And he puts them together. So it's not about us all thinking the same. It's not legalism. It's not control. It's not, um, okay, we all don't have beards here, okay? Okay, Darren, we want to see that beard off next week, you know, or we get subtle about it. I can remember, you know, you might think it's strange, but I can remember uh, years ago when our church was birthed, the guy that birthed the church, Bert, was a great man, but Bert didn't like beards, you know. And uh, I arrived at church, Terry, you're in trouble, mate, you know. I have to have a talk to you, Terry. That's a good beard you got, but beards aren't, are not kosher. Sorry, mate. Anyway, I remember... I had a moustache when I came here. I liked my mo, you know. And uh, one day we decided I'd shave it off. I don't think I was ever game to grow it back because I looked around, no one had a beard, you know. It was almost subtle. I remember sometimes there was things about particular days. I remember taking a whole bunch of guys on a young guy's camp. We went somewhere. I think Ben was about 12 and it was 96, I think. And we were all on this camp. There was all these bunch. It was about 20 young men. We had a great time. Power of God was there. And they were really loving God. And it was really good. And then we finished um, our Sunday awning time because we went away for the weekend. And I was really blessed with these guys. I thought, these young men have got such passion for God and God's doing stuff. And um, they said, oh, yeah. And there was a pool at the place we were staying. And, and they said, can we jump in the pool? Yeah, yeah, just go for a swim. Next thing, I'm in trouble with Bert because it's Easter Sunday. It's a special day. And uh, these kids are in the water, you know. I remember getting a real strife for this. You know, I can remember for 20 years I probably didn't go to a movie because, you know, cinemas are a dark-looking place, a bit like this room, you know. <laughs> you know? You know? I remember going to see... L- I remember going to see Lord of the Rings. I thought that was like watching the Bible, you know. I thought it was the best thing I ever saw. But, you know, I can remember, um, you know, these are just cultural things. I can remember years ago it was, you know, yeah, anyway, I probably shouldn't go on too much about, (laughs) probably probably could go on with stories. And I think we've all got stories. But Paul asking us to be of one mind is not about, wearing long dresses, it's not about not having beards, it's not about not going to the flicks, it's not about you only read the King James, it's not about us being, thinking all the same or following the same rules. What Paul is talking about here is one thing and I just feel this is the thing that really makes church work. This is the almost like the X factor We've got these four, four, four things. We've got to be in Christ. We've got to have the love around. We've got to share the love. We've got to have the Spirit of God around. We've got to have affection. We've got to have care. 
You've got to have all that. But Paul says there's one more thing to make this complete, to make this really work. You want to hear what it is? It's attitude. You've got to have attitude. You hear me? I'm born with attitude, you know. Anyway, the distinctive, but it's a particular kind of attitude. Paul says here, uh, where are we? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look each of look each of you look not just to your own interests but also to the interest of others. This, this is what, what, what he says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. He wants us to have the attitude that Jesus had. He wants us to have humility. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul is not being random here. It goes on in this book in chapter 4. There's a couple of women in the church that are maybe jockeying for position, that are having a bit of a tiff or some kind of rivalry, and he's asking the church to help them to sort this out. Paul is... um, is saying to them, don't have selfish ambition. There's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with having an ambition to serve God. What's not good is looking for the glory for yourself. You know, I, you know it's all, always about the team. It's always about the whole of us. He wants to dwell with them. Not just me, not just you but with all of us, he wants to hang, hang out. I was watching a cricket match a few uh, weeks back. Who saw the test match with uh, uh, in India when they won? I don't know. I, I don't follow cricket much, but I did watch the end of that. I watched it because Josh is here in our church and he's Indian and I knew he'd be watching it and I wanted to send him funny little t- uh, um, uh, texts because I used to tell all the... Uh, in, uh, in, uh, Indian students that used to stay with us, because we had a few, that when they applied for their citizenship, they needed to be careful at the cricket. If they didn't wrap themselves in a flag, if they were seen barracking for the wrong side, they probably wouldn't get their citizenship, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I like to pay out on Josh, and, and India looked like, well, we looked like we were in trouble. And I said, Josh, I hope you're praying, and I was texting all these guys, I hope you're praying, hope you're fasting, you know, all this stuff. Anyway, we were having fun. But there was, a, there was an interesting part in the match. It was at the end and it looked like India had it in, in the bag. I don't know. This, this was the bit that stood out to me and they were only so many runs away and they had enough, um, um, enough batsmen left and it looked all good. But, you know, nothing's for certain. And this one guy was getting out. Uh, they only needed... I think it was when they only had to have about another 10 runs and they had heaps of balls left and they had heaps of uh, wickets to go. But this one guy, he, he, wanted, he wanted to hit the big hit. I don't know if you saw this. And the commentator, I think there was one guy got out and then this other guy, it was like he had a chance to hit it for a six... 
and he'd be, he'd just get the glory. And uh, it was like he did this really big hit and it nearly, I think it nearly got caught or something. And it's like you, for, for this second, it was like this could have blown the whole match. We could have still just won because one guy wanted to take the glory for himself. You know, um, none of us are looking to hit the six. We're looking for God to get the glory. No selfish ambition. The other thing that's in here, it talks about conceit or self-importance. You know, you can't have in a, in a fellowship, in a church, you can't have uh, thinking you're the best. It just doesn't work. It's like that song. You're so vain, you probably think this song is about you, you know? Um, it's that desire for, pre- for prestige. It's the desire to be admired and respected. It's the desire to be on the, plat- to be on the platform. Um, to have your opinion sought, to be known by name, to be flattered. I've got some verses for you to help with this that I often run through my mind. It's, this is one, uh, one, one verse is, what do you have that you did not receive? That's what Paul, Paul says. What do you have that you did not receive? Whatever we're good at, just remember it's a gift and it just comes from him. There's another verse. I, have, I don't know if this is a verse, but it's a saying. It says, but for the grace of God, there go I. We are all broken. This is what God says. He says, I dwell with him who is of a humble and contrite spirit. It says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, I remember years ago when I was, first job I had when I left school, I worked in the racing and betting branch for the government, for Russ Hins, and I got a job as a bookies clerk out, out, out of that. And I used to love the races. I could put on a good voice for you. Red light flashing. <laughs> and they're off and racing. <laughs> you know, I used to, you know, anyway, that was, I love the races. I love the races. I've got to keep Deb away from the pokies, but I love the races, you know. <laughs> anyway, but I remember I was working with this guy in the racing betting branch. His name was Steve. And he was super fit. I mean, Steve was like Adrian, you know, super fit and strong. And, but he was a runner. He wasn't just a runner. He was the second best in the country. And you know what? Those guys that run all the time, they just get really fit. And I was uh, nine, uh, what was I, 17 and, and just a smart whatever, you know, just a cheeky kid. And I remember I used to sit across from Steve and Steve didn't realise that, you know, Steve knew he was good. Steve knew he was the best. And Steve knew he was fit. Steve knew he was good looking. And um, Steve didn't realise that everybody else knew Steve was full of himself, you know. And uh, I remember I would rock up at work and Steve's desk would be off to the side there. My desk was there and I'd have to go down the back and sign on. And I remember, because Steve had a certain walk to him. He was so fit, you know, he had, I haven't got the physique, but, you know, Steve would, you know, he would walk into work and he was dressed impeccably and he was smart and he was good looking, he had his hair right, everything about Steve. Steve was a, you know, he was my friend, you know, for, for a while. Anyway, I remember I used to rock up at work and I used to walk past, morning Steve, you know, and I, I, just, I just imitate him and I could do it really good. 
back then. And everybody would laugh. And I enjoyed that, you know. But it was Steve didn't realise that everybody knew Steve was deluded except Steve, you know. Anyway, he eventually laughed at himself. You know, pride is a, is a deceiving thing. I think about Nebuchadnezzar when I think of pride. It talks about how he was walking on the roof of his, pal- of his palace and he asked this really dumb question. This is what he said. He said, is this, sorry, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? You know, what a, what a goose, you know. This is what happens next. It says, while the words were still in the king's mouth, while he was even talking, you know, I just, I reckon God's smiling on this. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. The kingdom is departed from you. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts. You will be made to eat grass like an ox for seven years. You know, there's a whole bit there. But, you know, we get deceived when we get conceited, and we... We've got to keep ourselves away from pride and selfish ambition and conceit and all these things. And then it goes on to say, but count others more significant than yourselves. You know, we are all gifted and we are gifted very differently. And um, pride thinks we're more important maybe because of our gift. But humility values others as more important. We honour others and Jesus is the gold standard. He's our example and he's the one, you know, like Paul says here, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ. That's the kind of mind that God's put in us that he wants us to live out. We're not trying to attain something, we're trying to be something we already are. God's put this right spirit, this right attitude in our hearts and he wants us to live it out. Uh, I often think of Jesus when he talked about that parable about in the very end, you know, the sheep and the goats, you know that story? That really hits me between the eyes because here he is right at the very end. It's like it's, like it's judgment day. And what's the basis of it all? What you've done for the least of these, my brethren. You know, that's like Jesus sort of says, this is what I'm like. This is what matters to me. It's about how you treat people and how you treat the least of them. And to me, that's honour. That's honouring everybody uh, as special in God's eyes. It goes on to say, look not to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Self-interest destroys community. But spending our lives for God... And that always involves people, um, comes with great promise. Great promise. Just, just listen to this promise. You've read it before, I'm sure. But let it settle on you again today. He who saves his life will lose it. Don't back the wrong horse. Don't put your ladder up against a wall and try to climb it only to wake up one day and realise that ladder was against the wrong wall. You know, we've got to remember what we're all here for. He who saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That's a good slap in the face for self-interest. Ever noticed how happy people are when they get occupied with the needs of others? I don't know. It, It does release you and it brings joy. Paul goes on to say, have this mind among yourselves, which is, which is yours in Christ. Um, Jesus is the, is the role model for us to follow. Jesus considered others better than himself. Not in the sense that he thought the Philippians were of higher value than him, but he adopted the position of a servant for their good. I just, you know... That's what he's like. It says, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know, the spirit of the world is to grab. And once you grab a bargain, hang on to it really tightly. Um, but, But Jesus let go of all entitlement for our good. Jesus didn't climb the ladder. He climbed down the ladder. His ambition was for us. He wanted to lift us up. That's our example. That's the attitude. You know, what makes church that dwelling place is that attitude. I tell you, if everybody who's in Christ, who's filled with the Spirit, who loves one another, has that attitude that Jesus had, We are like a conduit for the power of God, for the presence of God. He wants to be with us. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Anyway, this all came from me sitting in a room and experiencing the presence of God and saying, how lovely are your dwelling places. I don't know, you might have a picture of where you've sat in a room with with the community of faith or a church and you've said how lovely are your dwelling place as says, my soul longs for the courts of the lord i'd rather be putting out chairs here for 50 years than be anywhere else i want to be with god's people i want to be where god hangs out i want his presence god um created us in his image we default to community We'll, we, we, we will be drawn to it and we, this is the community for us is to belong to his people. God dwells uh, not in a building. He dwells with his people and it is so good. A couple of weeks ago, Ben shared a message on, on this theme. I guess it's where I started. I think he, he shared around the power of us being transparent and being known and just stepping into that space where we don't withdraw away but we engage with God and we engage our lives um, where, yeah, there's just such power there. There's such potential there. And I just wanted to encourage us today, maybe spend a few weeks where we think about this. We think about how we can make this work more and more because um, it's a bit like taste and see that the Lord is good, you know? I encourage you, get a little closer, build a few more connections, make a few more friends, hang around for a coffee. Shane's going to make one for you. So um, reach out to someone. 
With a lot of new people coming to our church. There's been one-third of our church has come in the last two, two years and it's increasing. Um, I hear people say, oh, so who, who was that? And I think, you've been here for 12 months and they've been here for 12 months and you don't know one another. You know, we need to get to know one another because there's something rich in community. Reach out and open up and um, taste and see that the Lord is good and experience how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My heart faints, my soul longs for the courts of the Lord. God bless you all.